Radio Drone. A lovely All Hallows' Eve to everybody. So since we tackled the Halloween franchise last week, after Alex does the Adam and Eve promo, yeah, you heard me right, Brad Jones, the Marquis de Suede, and I will be discussing the logical follow-up to the Halloween retrospective. Go, Jowski. Go to adamandeve.com and use the promo code DROME, and you get 50% off a single item, free shipping within the United States, three free DVDs, and a free mystery gift for using the promo code DROME at adamandeve.com. Now, see, if I'd had Brad do it, he would have been like, uh, I don't know. I don't know. (laughs) You do it, Alex. Yeah, it's just easier to farm it out to the marquee. (laughs) Yeah. So since last week we ended on the horrendous 2007 Halloween and the even more horrendous 2009 Halloween 2, both... Die! Die! Are you sure you don't want Love Hurts to start playing over the corpses? (laughs) Yeah, that that apparently actually happened. I know, you were accusing me of making that up, and I'm like, no, Alex, that's the ending I saw of that movie. You made that up, it didn't happen. No one would do that. Because that's just stupid! No one would rip Michael Myers' mask off and have him look like the killer from Don't Go in the Woods. And then just scream, DIE! DIE! So the logical progression from that would be to look at the other movies of Robert Cummings. Uh, I mean, Rob Zombie. He legally changed his name to Rob Zombie in 1996, but... Oh, that's not his real name? Thanks. (laughs) It's his legal name. Hey, Alex Jowski isn't his real name, it's just his legal name, so there's a difference. I know his name is Swede. He's like single word, like Madonna at this point, just Swede. He's not Rob Zombie of the East Coast Zombie family? His real name's actually Bob Zombie. No, that's just what he lets his friends call him. Bob Zom. I hope that's true. (laughs) It would be really funny if it was. Bob Zom. (laughs) No, is it Rob Zombie or Robert Zombie? Rob Zombie is what he legally had his name changed to. I mean, when he married that moon girl, I can't remember her name. Sherry Moon. Sherry Moon. Like, did they say at the the wedding, do you, Rob Zombie, take moon girl to be your wife? (laughs) You know what? That's probably not that far off, honestly. Hey, why not? So, Rob Zombie got his start with the band White Zombie. I, I missed their first two albums, but I did listen to their third album in high school. I enjoyed it then. I enjoyed his work then. Now I listen to the same stuff and I kind of go, okay, I don't know. I mean, if you like it, I'm not going to on you. You like White Zombie and Rob Zombie's music, fair enough. I don't anymore, but I did when I was in high school, so what does that say? Either of you guys listen to Rob Zombie at all? I, I mean, that's that's all you really. It's it's not, that's just one of those, it's not my taste. It's not my kind of music. I don't know if it's I don't know if it's a good example or a bad example of that kind of music. I, I I don't. It's I'll openly admit I have a relatively narrow taste in music. I will absolutely freely admit that. And Rob Zombie stuff. It's I can't even sit here and say like I think it sucks. I think it's bad. It's just like I I can only say you know it's not for me. It, it's not my taste in music. So there's that. Well, would be through MTV, because they'd play more human than human on MTV all the time. And I, I liked it for a little while. I mean, I didn't mind it. I bought whatever album that was. It had, like, the, the naked lady in the hammock on the blue background. That's I can't remember the name, just the picture. 
Then after that, you know, he gained, gained a lot of success, directed a lot of his own music videos, and you could see what we now call the Rob Zombie style start to come out. And that's not necessarily bad for music videos. As we'll get into, it doesn't necessarily translate well to film, but we'll, we'll move into that. So as his star started to rise, we're going to have to talk about what should have been his first film, which I think really, really could have been good. He was supposed to make the third Crow movie called Crow 2037, The Age of the New Gods. I forgot about that. And his script, I've read his script online, it was really good. I can see why it never got made. Basically, Christopher, it took place in the, the you know, this is going to remember this is the 90s it was going to be made. This took place in the far-flung future of 2010, where, Christo- where Christopher Lee murders a little boy. And then when the little boy comes back, he spends the next 27 years using his crow powers as a supernatural bounty hunter because all of his killers have moved off planet to the colonies on the moon. So it becomes like an intergalactic bounty hunter movie set in the crow universe. And I thought that had a lot of potential to it. The reason it wasn't made was twofold. One it would have been incredibly expensive because this was meant to be a direct-to-DVD release. (laughs) So there's no way that could have been done on a DTV budget. It really, the the producers, I think it was Dimension that owns it, they did not like the idea of going straight-out science fiction with this, with moon colonies and rocket ships. They thought, that's not the crow. So that never materialized. But you tell me, that doesn't sound like it would have been pretty damn cool. It's at least something different, and if there's something, and if there's one thing about Rob Zombie, I mean, regardless of what the end product is, when he's working with an already established product, he does tend to tr- try to do something different with it to add his own voice to it. And I don't know how the, I haven't read the script. This is my first time hearing the plot of that. I don't know how good that would have turned out to be, but I can say this: at least it would have been fresh. <laughs> at least it wouldn't have been. It like wouldn't have been the, the other... two that it wouldn't have been the two crow sequels we did get. Yeah, the ones that we did get that were just horrendous, chasing after the first one again, only not nearly as good. Edward like, Furlong asleep in makeup. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, at, le- at least it wouldn't have been that. So that that's something. So, so that never materialized. But eventually, he made a deal with Universal, and they funded House of a Thousand Corpses, which would become his first film. Now, House of a Thousand Corpses was a disaster to make. Universal was constantly interfering with the making of the film. They ended up shelving the film for almost a year after it was completed. Then they didn't want to release it, so Rob Zombie had to he had to basically sell out a bunch of his albums to find the money so he could buy the rights back so he could give it to Lionsgate to release when they eventually released it. House of a Thousand Corpses to me is an abject failure as a movie, but I see what he was trying to do. I, I like how the movie is edited. I like the different changing film stocks. And I'll admit it, there are some shots that are very, very artistically done. While I didn't like House of a Thousand Corpses as a film, it wasn't a bad experiment. Does that make sense? I get what you're saying. I, I disagree to an extent. I don't like the movie either. I think it's I think it's his most poorly made movie, but it's also his first movie. It, I don't like the way the movie's edited. I don't like that suddenly changing film stock, suddenly going to black and white. The whole thing to me screamed of a mixture of like a college student film or like a terrible late 90s 
direct-to-video shitio film, I spit on your corpse, I piss on your grave, or something like that. Like, this is the kind of movie where you expect the opening credit, credit sequence to be slow-motion shots in a cemetery, and it's all sepia tone for no reason whatsoever. Or, oh, then it goes to the negative filter. There are, I agree that there are some shots that I like when it gets away from all that hackneyed film school look to it. I And I was, I was in a multimedia course when that came out. Or, well, actually, I think I was graduated when it came out. I was in the multimedia course when I saw the trailer for it. <laughs> which was like a year and a half, two years before. Yeah, you, you saw the trailer before Universal yanked it. I, I did, yeah. And so the movie then finally came out. I looked, me and my buddy went to go see it. We sat there and I'm like, this looks like the kind of movies we were shooting in our multi- multimedia class. What the hell? And But when it got into the whole Dr. Satan's lair, and it actually did have some kind of focus on how real Connecticut was, there were there was a lot of really impressive visuals going on, definitely in terms of makeup, definitely in terms of the sets. I mean, I certainly, I certainly, I think I got what he was going for. It's like a batshit chainsaw massacre type movie, only more graphic, more acid trippy, and and more modern. It's definitely like all of his movies. It's a love letter to movies that he very much likes, even a lot of movies I like too. It, I don't know. It just didn't work for me. I didn't like how it was made. I didn't think it was the humor. I didn't think was all that funny. I didn't. I don't know if it was trying to be scary, but if it was, I didn't think it was scary, or I didn't really think it was that suspenseful or intense. So it, it, it just. I, I left that theater just kind of like, well, that's a thing that for some reason I saw in the theater, and it probably should have gone direct to video. I agree totally with Brad that it does initially have that like multimedia project feel to it but there are to me it feels of... like i think that's due to his music video background he hadn't quite yeah. learned the you difference between film language and music video language you know Dear like, god you could tell like there's those montage inserts of like basement torture that just happen real quick here and there overall i did find it to be a good homage to Texas Chainsaw Massacre and similar movies. And it does have its good moments where you could tell that he has some potential as a director. See, to me, the moment that that really grabbed my attention that where I said, I actually see some art in this is that slow motion pullback shot to a long, long distance shot of Otis holding the gun to Walton Goggins head. Exactly. While, that, while that Slim Whitman song is playing, and uh. then with the audio and video intentionally being out of sync, it just hangs on that shot and hangs on it and hangs on it until he finally shoots the deputy. And then the way it's just the way it's composited, I went, that actually was really damn artistic. Yeah, there were moments like that in it, just mixed in with a lot of really amateurish directing that looked like it was made by somebody making a high school music video and they happen to be a fan of Rob Zombie, only in this case it actually is Rob Zombie. But there were moments like that in the movie, that scene you just said, that were good. The different visuals that they used really in the last 20 minutes were good. It was almost like suddenly within this 80-minute movie, he kind of learned how to be a director a little bit. 
And the the part where she was kind of lip syncing uh, "I Want to Be Loved by You" was kind of cheeky and fun a little bit. So it was a mixture of things that annoyed me and stuff that I, like you said, showed potential. And, and I also thought I really liked. Maybe it was just because of the really creepy lighting and cinematography. It's all done in blue, and they're playing that Aleister Crowley poem as they're lowering her inside that breakaway coffin into the well. Uh-huh. I thought that scene was done quite well also. So to me, House of a Thousand Corpses was a failure as a film, but maybe not as a baby step. I mean, I don't think it's a good movie, but it's I, I also don't think it's a terrible film, but I, I don't think it's very good. So then after that, the film did okay. It, it didn't do great. It didn't do bad. Rob Zombie went back to his music career, and then eventually in 2005, he decided to make a sequel. Devil's Rejects, which I think that what I said about Devil's Rejects in 2005 was in the two years between the release of House and the making of Devils, Rob learned how to be a filmmaker and he used up all of his mistakes because Devil's Rejects is a phenomenal movie. It hits the right notes. It is a throwback movie the way it should be. It is brutal. It's got great character moments. William Forsythe steals the damn movie from Bill Mosley and Sid Haig. That is not easy to do. Devil's Rejects was great. Right? I agree. I think Devil's Rejects is a fantastic film, but you're right. It is a throwback movie in the way that a throwback movie should work, in that it, it genuinely feels like the kind of movie that that it is homaging, that it is a love letter to. It does feel like a really, really gritty current movie from the 70s. It feels like uh, taking some modern special effects out of it, it feels like a product of that time, of the 1970s, and the greatest in the greatest way possible. And when I went to go see that movie, my expectations were honestly low. Uh, it, I went to go see it with my friend, who I also saw House of a Thousand Corpses with, and neither of us like House of a Thousand Corpses, and so we said to each other, well, the second one is out, shall we? And so and we were like, yeah, all right, let's, let's do it. So we went in, we sat down. When it was over, I sat there just like, what in the hell? That was a real movie. Like, you're right. Somewhere in those two years, he went from like, you know, being like, yeah, it's a music video director and he's now making a movie and it looks just kind of like a fan movie and, and whatever. To this looks like something done by an extremely talented filmmaker. Like in that two years, like he did something and he cranked out a masterpiece. And no matter what movies he comes out with from now on, and even the ones he's had since, he'll still always have that one. He'll still always have that one. And it's a damn good movie. And it's so well acted and well written that it makes you want to spend a whole movie with these people who are terrible people, who are the scum of the freaking earth. I mean, these are sadists uh, to the umpteenth level. These are scumbags. These are true blue freaking killers. And you don't mind spending a whole movie with them. You don't at all. It's it's so well written in that aspect, and even well acted, too, to pull that off. That in some scenes... In some scenes, it even comes across that like the villain is the cop, <laughs> William Forsythe. Exactly. And that's not easy to do in writing a movie like that. It's not. And 
yeah, the guy has made some bad movies since then, but that movie, you can call it a fluke or not, but that movie shows that as a writer and as a director, he does have some semblance of talent. When it comes to Devil's Rejects, like you said, it makes the villains kind of likable, which is Uh not something that a lot of movies are adequately able to do. It makes them likable, but it doesn't... It doesn't, it doesn't them justify heroes. them. It doesn't justify them. It doesn't make them heroes, but it makes them. Yeah, it, it, it makes you. It makes you not hate yourself for hate yourself for watching a ninety-minute movie about these guys. I really loved Devil's Rejects when it came out. I'm like, oh, it looks like a sequel to House of a Thousand Corpses. I'll just wait for DVD until a friend of mine that watched it's like, no, you you go watch this in theaters now. It's really really good. Here, I'll take you right now. Went and watched it and absolutely loved it. Kind of is a pseudo-sequel to House of a Thousand Corpses, but it feels more like a really good reboot. Well, it directly follows the events with Tom Toll's character and Forsyth's motivation, so it it, it feels more like a sequel where somebody said, you do the sequel in a totally opposite direction of the other one. I know exactly what Alex is saying, and that's what... It's a movie that just kind of happens to have the characters from House of a Thousand Corpses in it. I mean, yeah, it does directly reference stuff from the first one, but you absolutely do not have to have seen the first House of a Thousand Corpses in order to watch and enjoy Devil's Rejects. No, no, absolutely not. But unfortunately, if, if I do have one nitpick about this is they used CGI where practicals, would have looked better, and I think that's where zombies started to fall into the Hollywood machine. Remember the nails going through Otis's hands? Uh-huh. CGI. Remember yeah, the night- that's, that's kind of what I meant earlier when I was saying, aside from certain effects work, it really does come across like a product yeah. of them. It, but it, yeah, it, if, if, there's a, if there's a complaint I have about it, 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 it's that, but I still think it's a great movie. It's a phenomenal movie, and I have a feeling they shot a different version of the ending. Because if you look at the first trailer, instead of them driving into the blockade, it's all of them walking down the street slowly, but Otis's hands are bandaged up and Baby is in her night nightie that William Forsythe put her in. So it has to be for the end of the film. But also Baby had her ankle cut open, so she couldn't be walking. So I'm like, okay, did you shoot a different version of the Freebird ending? I always read that as something that was just shot with a trailer. I mean, I could be wrong, but that's always how I read that. I just always was like, I'd like to see that ending too. Because the Freebird ending works great to me, I think. Yeah, and I think the Freebird ending is perfect. That With them walking, I always just kind of read that as actually something with a trailer. And that's also what the DVD cover is. So then, after Devil's Rejects, he went back to his music career. That's what you get when you're a rock star and a filmmaker. And then, the next thing he did, I enjoyed the holy hell out of. The fake trailer for Werewolf Women of the SS in Grindhouse. I loved the hell out of this trailer. First of all, it's a great trailer. Until the last ten seconds, then it becomes an amazing trailer. Nicolas Cage as Fu Manchu. Yes! Yeah! That makes it go from great to amazing. Because I actually want to see how Rob Zombie talked Nicolas Cage into that, in all honesty. Um, It seems like like something that Cage would would totally be into. 
into doing that quick little thing. Um, yeah, he probably and, just asked him, hey, could you yeah. do this? Mm-hmm. And Cage, like, shoot? in that two seconds, Cage still freaking went for it. And Nicholas Cage as Fu Manchu. This is my baton! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he, he was he was just amazing in that, and then you got you got Bill Mosley and Tom Tolles and Udo Cure and Sybil Danning, and it's like great cast for a trailer. And you know what? He almost made this movie on the Grindhouse DVD. He doesn't have any of the bridging scenes or anything, so it couldn't be edited together. He shot over 30 minutes of usable footage that he had to edit down to two and a half. Oh. So he basically yeah. shot a third of this movie already. They basically made a short film. Except <laughs> one, except because there was no narrative to it, it can't be edited in any conceivable way other than a trailer. Man, I'd rather have, got, I'd rather have gotten that movie than Machete Kills. I, since I haven't seen that one, I abstain from that. But I would have had it over Death Proof. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I, yeah, that too. Yeah, absolutely. I, I absolutely agree with though, that. Even though I like the, I, I I thought the werewolf, the women of the SS trailer was a lot of fun. I, I thought it was really funny. I laughed my ass off. I thought it. it was the best of all the fake trailers, honestly. Uh, I probably liked the Thanksgiving trailer the best out of all of them. Even though there really wasn't one that I disliked out of the fake trailers, my favorite was probably the Thanksgiving one. But I would rather see a werewolf werewolf women of the ss movie because as much as i like the trailer for thanksgiving if it was a full-length movie eli roth would find some way to screw it up oh there's no doubt about that so then the same year he did the werewolf women of the ss trailer he made halloween which we've already discussed so go listen to last week's episode same with halloween 2 now the only thing I'll add about Halloween 2 that we did not discuss last week was why he made Halloween 2. Dimension told him if he made Halloween 2, because he was adamant, I'm not doing it. I'm not making a sequel. Not happening. They said, okay, here's, here's the deal. You make Halloween 2, and then we'll make Lords of Salem. So you do this for us, and then your pet project gets off the ground, which would still mm-hmm. take another five years, but he didn't realize that at that point. Going into Halloween 2, he didn't really want to make it. You, and you can you can tell when you watch the movie, he didn't really want to make it. So, you can also tell, and I don't know if I said this last week too, but you can also tell that he still... I'm not going to say he didn't try with Halloween 2. I don't think that's the case. I mean, I'm sure his heart wasn't 100% into it, but I think he was still kind of trying to do something different with that movie. Well, he, he two is on... Two things too, which is why there's two different versions of the movie. He is on record saying that the, the movie that shooting Halloween 2 was such a nightmare that it made him not want to work with Dimension again, even on Lords of Salem, which might be why it took another few years for that to get off the ground. That yeah. it was that Halloween 2 was nonstop interference, which might be why, like Brad, you and I saw totally different versions of Laurie Strode. I have a feeling since Rob's director's cut has her as the shrieking she-beast from hell, I think that's what he wanted, and they wanted the nicer version that you ended up with. Yeah, and I just watched that clip for the first time a few days ago. Man, I watched, I saw that and I was like, ah, oh, that's why Josh really hates this movie. Yeah, I could, 
I can kind of see that now, looking at this. Like, he's, a, he's a mountain man, okay, and he screams the word die. Oh, man, this is not very good. <laughs> <laughs> I needed it because I was like, I knew he talked in it. I knew he had the one line, and I, I needed that line when I did the Halloween snob episode. So by making Halloween 2, but it was such a grueling experience, such an unpleasant experience, he didn't work with Dimension right away again. But then that same year, he released The Haunted World of El Superbisto, which for them to come out as close together as they did, he had to have been making them almost simultaneously. Like, you know, when he left the set of Halloween 2, go and work a little bit on Superbisto. Didn't he also do the animated segment, or I'm sorry, the, the, let me narrow that down a little bit. The, the nightmare the, segment? Yeah, the, the nightmare segment from uh, Venus and Butthead New America. Yes, he did. But Yeah, yeah, okay, that was, that was fun. I, I saw that, that movie premiered on my birthday. Okay, I'm just kind of 50-50 on this one. It's a meh film to me. There's some good ideas, there's some good scenes, and then there are other scenes that cancel those good ones out. To me, Super Bisto was kind of like House of a Thousand Corpses, a good experiment. It was the first time of him, you know, doing a whole movie and animation. This He said this first time he's worked with voice actors and that. And I don't know, to me, the movie partially works and partially doesn't to the point where I don't call it a disaster, but it's definitely not a hit. And that's all you. I never saw that. Jesus, Lloyd. Lloyd saw it. He's not happy. <laughs> Lloyd did not like that, did he? Really? <laughs> <laughs> I've seen bits of Super Beasto, and to be honest, I didn't even know that it existed. I remember until... when it came out, I just didn't really have much interest in seeing it. It didn't get nearly as big of a push as his live-action stuff did. It just kind of went out there. It kind of was a movie that seemed to escape more than be released. And then he he took a little bit of a break while he was prepping the disaster that is Lords of Salem, and he directed an episode of CSI Miami. There, there are two things you'll, you'll notice about it right away. One, it doesn't look like Rob Zombie had anything to do with it. It looks exactly like every other CSI Miami episode, because he said the producers wouldn't let him do anything that would give it a distinct look. That, and he was fighting with David Caruso the whole time. David well, Caruso apparently had quite an ego with Rob Zombie. Caruso? Ego? What? I know. From what I understand, any director that's worked on CSI has had the same complaint about be- having their hands tied and not Tarantino being Tarantino seems to have free reign on his, because that <laughs> felt like... Tarantino's felt like a Tarantino. Episode. Well, and, and also, like, the Tarantino CSI, like, it looked like both. I mean, you could certainly see some of Tarantino's style in it, and... Also, the, the style of a, you know, of an episode of CSI, but I think Tarantino was more, um, I think he went into it kind of sort of wanting to very much do both, make something that, yes, looks like a CSI episode crossed with kind of like a TV movie and then add sort of his own style to it, not just 100% do everything in his usual style where it kind of sounds like that's a little bit what Rob Zombie wanted to do and which is unfortunate for Rob Zombie I think that would be a lot of fun I think that's unfortunate for any movie director that tries to do an episode of a show and they just make them direct it like any other freaking TV show you know I I think that whenever a director signs on to something like that they either one have to be aware of what they're getting into and two yeah go and do it 
knowing they're pretty much just going to make something that looks like television. Like which is, the, which is the same thing that Joe Dante had when he did CSI New York. He yeah. was other than guest stars, he had almost no say in anything other than where the camera went. And even Rob Zombie, like this wasn't. Was Sherry Moon in that? Yep, Sherry Moon. Oh, he brought a lot of his stock players. Sherry Moon was in it. William Forsythe, Malcolm McDowell, uh, Michael Madsen was also in it. Bill Mosley had an uncredited cameo. Billy Gibbons from ZZ Top was also in it as himself. He I, he, he brought a lot of his stock players or his friends into it. I think that they should be given a chance to really make something in their own style. I mean, if they want to sign on and then just kind of make it look like CSI, that's fine. But if they want to do it in their style, yeah, I know we've talked about this topic before, but I that would be fun. I mean, look at like when Abel Ferrara directed episodes of Miami Vice. It looks like Abel Ferrara directed an episode of Miami Vice. But Miami <laughs> Vice was more about style, so I think on Miami Vice, a director got more freedom as long as they stayed within the format. Yeah. I think they got a lot more freedom to make it as they wanted. For instance, even though he didn't direct it uh, directly, John, the the Viking Bikers from Hell episode with with Reb Brown, written by John Milius, he basically hit armchair directed it. Reb Brown admitted that John Milius was there on set talking to the credited director, giving him tips. Mm-hmm. You can really kind of see some of John Milius's style in the episode, oh, even yeah, from yeah. that opening shot of the uh, of the rotating Viking statue silhouetted uh-huh. against the sunset. You go, yeah. You, you look at that and Conan, and you go, that's John Milius, goddammit. So the CSI Miami, I, I, I hadn't watched any of the CSIs at this point for a long time, but I, I watched that one because I wanted to see what Rob Zombie could do with it, and apparently, and I don't blame him for this, apparently he couldn't do a damn thing with it other than William Forsythe as a corrupt police captain and, shock of shocks, Malcolm McDowell as the villain, Brad. Nice. Like in the Tarantino CSI when John Saxon was the villain. He got blowed up. <laughs> John Saxon got blowed up. And he also had the uh, clerk from Jackie Brown get uh, raped in prison in that, too. No. Oh, yeah. I forgot that was her. Although I'll admit I probably have seen the episode. I just never knew it was Rob Zombie's. And it's the, it's the one with never... William Forsythe and Malcolm McDowell. It didn't impress me if I did see it. Fair, fair enough. I've only seen a handful of episodes of that. I, I guarantee you I haven't seen it because I don't ever remember seeing one that had Sherry Moon, Malcolm McDowell, and William Forsythe in it. Well, then after that, he he did he directed a live stand-up concert of really? Tom Papa live in New York City. There's not a whole lot of directing in there other than just going, cut to camera two, cut back to camera one. Not a whole lot of that. I've never seen it, and I really don't care because... You don't really get celebrities to direct that kind of thing. So then we move to Lords of Salem. Or should before this, should we talk about what was going to be his next movie after Super Bisto, his remake of The Blob? Or should I say The Blob as a serial killer? Yeah, was that that thing that was going around where it was a remake of The Blob, but it didn't have The Blob in it? Yeah. Or something? Yeah, I'm going to quote from Rob Zombie here in an interview. A giant blob chasing people around, it just isn't scary. So Mm -hmm. he was hired, so he wrote a script for The Blob, which basically was a Halloween knockoff. The Blob crashes from space goes inside a human being, and uses their body to go on a killing rampage. 
Hey, that's so, the Incredible Melting Man. Kind of. Yeah, it kind of actually is. So basically, his version of The Blob was a slasher film, which is what leads me to believe, despite that, that interesting crow idea, he doesn't seem to want to leave his comfort zone of slashers. He doesn't seem to want to make a science fiction movie or a monster on the rampage movie. He seems to, I got to find a way to make this a slasher movie because that's what I'm comfortable with. It just almost seems like he has a lack of vision. Well, I don't know if it's necessarily that. It's just that some of his visions don't necessarily work for the right things because like that, like, okay, maybe that could be an okay movie. Why does it have to be the blob? You know, like his Halloween movies, I I still maintain have some good ideas in them. But when you narrow it down, do they really have to be Halloween movies? I mean, really, you could have. I actually think those movies are worse for being Halloween movies than if they weren't. Yeah, I think that I think that a lot of criticism of them comes from the fact that they, they are Halloween movies. Absolutely. And if they were just if they were just kind of standalone movies, like he just made his own serial killer slasher film character and then rewrote the second half of his first Halloween so it wasn't stupid so well so it wasn't carbon copying stuff from John Carpenter's Halloween you know then maybe he would have he would have had something better um I I still don't think it's a terrible movie but I think it would yeah that would have been better because yeah it is true why does that have to be the blob really why did those other two movies necessarily have to be Halloween Halloween would have actually been a lot better if it was not about if it wasn't Halloween. What do you think, Alex, then, of the blob as a serial killer idea? You know, it all depends upon execution, because there's some terrible ideas out there that have become great movies. But but, but don't you think, then, as Brad pointed out, you don't call it the blob, because you're yeah, not, you you're, you're not the remaking the blob at that point. You're remaking Edgar from... Men in Black. Yeah. That it's But could he become the blob? Like would he have like blob like powers or something? I'm not sure. I've never seen the script for that one, but that's just the synopsis that Fangoria put out when this was first announced. And it just made me think, Good God, Rob Zombie, can you make anything other than a slasher movie? Well because my thing is like they still have to call it the blob. So I'm picturing my like, okay, maybe it takes over somebody else's body, but it's still called the blob. Uh, he's got to do something that gives it like blob-like features or powers or something. Yeah, but it does mean that they're probably still shopping a director and stuff to remake the blob. Yeah, but this was like in 2010, so it's been three years and no movement's been made. I, this is one of those ones like the Howling remake, not that reborn, a straight out remake, the Videodrome remake, and the Scanners TV series. That's just never going to happen. Well, it's something like the Blob. Like in theory, I don't necessarily have a problem with it being remade because there already is a remake. The 1988 <laughs> Blob is great. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I like that movie a lot. I mean, there already is a remake for it, and there's even a sequel to the other one. So it's like. It's like, okay, in a situation like that, I really don't have a problem with theory of something like that being remade. My only thing is like, okay, it would just be a, a freaking CGI blob monster, and I don't really want to see that. After the blob remake fell through, he moved on to Lords of Salem, his long ingestation project. Lords of Salem, it changed a lot from its original conception. Did you ever see the old 
uh, Empire movie, Necropolis, from 1984? No. It was about a witch that is executed in, like, you know, the 1700s or whatever, and she is reawakened by punk rock music in 1984, and she comes back and uses her abilities to become a punk rock superstar to try and take over the world. That's basically what the original plot of Lords of Salem was. When Fangoria first announced it, it was these executed witches come back as the rock band Lords of Salem and goofy crap happens. That would have been much better than the piece of shit we got. Lords of Salem is straight out the worst horror film I have ever sat through. No hyperbole. I hated every single second of this movie. I hated it, but I wouldn't say it was the worst I ever sat through. I mean, I've sat through some horrid, horrid crap before, but... It's so... I, I, I don't like the movie either. When I sat there and watched it, I was miserable. I so don't think it's the worst horror film ever made. I mean, that's a bold freaking statement. I've watched, I've watched worse horror movies in the last few months than Lords of Salem. There was a lot of times watching Lords of Salem where I was like, I don't understand what's happening, but I don't really care. Like you guys both brought up with Halloween and Halloween 2 last week, you had a hard time pinning down when this was supposed to take place. Oh, yeah, this one is horrible, horrible at that. I get it, Rob. (laughs) You like the 70s. Brad, Alex, and I like the 70s a lot, too, with the music and the TV and the movies. Well, there's that line in there where they have the, the the promo before it. It's like, today's top hits, and then they play Rush. Yeah, and it's like, I get it, Rob. You want your soundtrack in there. But if you set it today, then you don't get that. And we also have to point out, this is something that's run through all of Rob Zombie's work, from his music videos, through everything he's directed, and even some of the stuff he hasn't that he's just produced, is Sherry Moon Zombie. I, I don't agree with the notion that just because it takes place in the present means he can't have something like Rush on the soundtrack. But, yeah, as, but as a today's hit, though. Oh, yeah, I mean, well, that's that's a, yeah, that's, okay, that's, that's that's kind of a dumb line. Like I, I when I sat there and watched it, I didn't. I the whole time felt I was watching something that takes place in the present. I never thought it was taking place in the seventies. Because just because of some like I, there, were, there were characters that had like bones on them and, and stuff like that, I think like I could see some kind of modern technology in some shots. I, I didn't really have that problem. And with Lords of Salem, I, I it's hard for me to pin down exactly what I just didn't like about the movie. One because it's kind of forgettable, and I saw it two months ago. So I you know I I don't have a problem with Sherry Moon Zombie. I I don't I don't think Sherry Moon is a bad actress at all. I really don't. I didn't even think she was bad in this movie. I thought um, she's gotten a lot better. You go and look at her in House of a Thousand Corpses. Yeah, she I wanted to kick her in the coos. You I haven't seen House in like 10 years, but like I I thought I did not think she was bad in in this movie. Um you know, I and even her character in theory, I really don't mind all that much. It's just for a character that's supposed to carry a movie, it could have been a little bit better written. But I have a real soft spot in my heart for satanic cult movies. I I do like those are that's like a subgenre of movie where like I'll seek those out and, and give those a watch because I find a lot of them to be just really fun and entertaining. And this one. I don't know. It just didn't have the right focus for me. In some scenes, it was like it was supposed to be 
dead serious and gritty and kind of disturbing, like with what that album was doing to uh, Sherry Moon. But then in other parts, it was like really campy, like the scenes with Dean Wallace. And it was really, and Meg Foster too, it was really schizo in that regard. And the parts that were supposed to be intense, I thought were boring. The parts that were kind of campy, I thought were just silly and awkward. Like, I'm sitting there like, is this the Golden Girls, but they're Satanists? What, what is this? The imagery for me didn't have a lot of context. It just kind of came and went out of nowhere, like when they're dancing naked around the fire. And then in the last part, when it goes kind of batshit crazy, I thought visually it looked fine. I don't really think it's a poorly filmed movie. I, I, I don't. I think with the right script and the same kind of direction, it could have been fine. The movie just bored me to tears. I couldn't get invested into what was going on. I didn't care. And in the parts that were really kind of campy, I just felt more so embarrassed by what I was watching. I... It took me three, it, it took me three attempts watch. to watch it, Brad. I kept hey, turning I it off because it. I was just like, uh, this sucks. No, I watched it in one sitting, and I get, I totally get Art Fisher's love for the movie. I do, because I like this kind of, I genuinely like this kind of movie, but this one did not do it for me. And if it worked, if it worked for you or anyone else, good. Have a good time with it. It just, nothing about this thing worked not even not even the gratuitous shots of sherry moon's ass worked for me this time (laughs) (laughs) well that's what i was going to bring up is a a lot a lot of the almost everything rob zombie makes seems to be an excuse to show off his wife's ass because sherry moon has only acted in two things that were not rob zombie productions and they were both 30 second to one minute bit parts she's a beautiful lady she has a nice ass i get it but i this is going to sound weird to say, but it seemed like in the other movies, her ass had more of a context when it was being shown. Whereas <laughs> in this one, it's like... She oh. just wakes up naked, yeah. And it's like, okay. It felt like Rob Zombie wanted to do an homage to the satanic horror films from the 70s and 80s. Absolutely. But then he also wanted to tell his own original artistic story. And he couldn't find a balance between the two. Well, because especially once it devolves into a music video in the last half hour, a, a lot of this and like, you know, all those the sellout horror magazines like Fangoria and Rue Morgan that they praise the film for being a throwback to the Argento and Fulci movies of the 70s. And I do see that. I but, see that. I, yeah, I agree. Th- I, th- there are shots that I'm like, OK, that is an homage to the beyond. I think there's shots in the movie that are beautiful. I really do. I really do think that there's shots in that movie that are are beautiful. But They're beautiful, but they have no context. Yeah, you're right. You're exactly right. But, but Alex, the last half hour, it just turns into a giant music video. There's no context for anything. There's barely any dialogue. It's just events set to music, and you don't even know what the events mean. Yeah, exactly. yeah, and like if it were somewhat interesting or suspenseful or disturbing in any way, shape, or form, then cool. That would be a really, really cool sequence. It would, but at that point, crap, I was just waiting for that movie to end. There's also the fact that, as you pointed out earlier, Brad, with Devil's Rejects, even though these are loathsome human beings, you were okay spending a whole movie with them. 
I hated these characters. To me, there's a difference between a flawed character and a fucking asshole. Every single character in this movie was a fucking asshole. And I did not want to spend a movie with a single one of these people. I could have well, spent a little bit longer with Bruce Davidson. Him I liked, yeah. He was he was actually really pretty genuine in this movie, I thought. Uh, uh, d- 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 what about the magger? The magger? What? The the big guy that looked like Rob Zombie was the magger guy from Cavemen. Oh, was he? Yes, oh, the same okay. actor. Oh, I mean, it was... Uh, I, okay, I kind of remember what you were talking about. I, I don't know, I just found him forgettable. And, and Sherry Moon's character, like... They made her, like, a really flawed character, but it was also simultaneously kind of underwritten. <laughs> I don't know, that character just seemed like she was just sort of there throughout a lot of this, and not really having too much of a... They didn't really give her character too much of a personality, per se, at least, to kind of carry a movie. I thought her performance was fine. I thought she did what she could with how the material was written. I did. This is not a knock against her in any way, shape, or form. I thought she did fine. But, I mean, like, there were some interesting things about how she used to be a drug addict, and now they think she's back on drugs again, but it just read flat. Oh, absolutely. And I don't think she's as good of an actress as you do. I think Rob was writing more to her talents and then than anything else, really. No, I think that, I think that like, uh, oh, look, I'm not saying she's Meryl Streep or anything, but I don't think she's as bad as her reputation is. I've seen Cherry Moon do stuff where she's lively, where she's, you know, kind of a bright personality and has some fun with stuff. And I think she does fine in that. And here, and it's it's not like I think that she did bad. I just didn't think there was really much to her character. And see, I just, I hated this. And this movie split the horror community straight down the middle. There's nobody that just thought it was an okay movie. You either hated this film or you loved it. I still see arguments online constantly between the haters and the lovers. And Rob Zombie... Well, you provoke those arguments, Josh. Quiet. Rob Zombie seemed to... This was his pet project. This was his passion project. And when it not only didn't do well at the box office, but was destroyed by the major critics, Rob threw a bit of a temper tantrum. He basically came out and said, you guys don't get me. I quit. And he said he's done with horror films. I'm quoting here, I'm sick of giving back to the horror community that doesn't appreciate it. But in that regard, he doesn't seem to understand why people don't like the film, like his movies. He's just kind of like, you don't like it? Well, screw you! Yeah, I mean, like, I understand, like, putting myself in his shoes, like, I mean, like, I can see why someone would certainly be frustrated having a string of movies that didn't necessarily go over too well with the crowd it was intended for. I can... I can, you know, I can see why someone would be kind of frustrated when that happens. And yeah, Lords of Salem is certainly a, a divisive movie. I don't think it's, I don't think it's passionately divisive though. I do think there's people who hate it and there's people who love it. But I don't. When I did the review for the movie online, yeah, I had people who left me comments who really liked the movie, who really appreciated it. But they weren't really mad at me for not liking it. It wasn't like a Man of Steel, Dark Knight Rises, Prometheus situations. Where oh, I, I was like... right. When I went on that street on Facebook about how this film is a hate fuck to the language of film and all that, and I went on that, I thought, relatively calm screed I went on. Oh, I had... bullshit! Relatively! If you uh, called it a hate fuck 
to the art of film, then it was not relatively calm. Yeah, yeah. Quiet. You didn't get it. They told me I didn't appreciate it because I didn't get it. It was too complex for me. My well, response was, out, did you, you watch the same fucking movie I did? This well, is not put, a complex film. Well, dude, if you put out an incredibly vulgar and, like, abrasive review, of course the reaction to it from people who disagree with you is also going to be abrasive. But I that I don't get what is a movie that has no depth to it? I... I... I mean, I, I don't know what to say. I, I, I didn't like the movie either. I don't, listening to you, I, I, so, I, I really don't like this movie. I, I don't. Let me just put that out there. But um, I don't think that you don't get the movie. I don't think that you don't get the movie at all. I don't think, I disagree with you in the sense that you think it's the worst horror film ever made, and I can name probably a thousand that are worse than this. I don't think that you don't get the movie. <laughs> what do you think, Alex? Do you think this movie is so complex that I just didn't get it? And that's why, well, I guess then you didn't get it either because you didn't like it. Brad didn't get it because he didn't like it. I guess you, you can't not like this movie because it's too complex. What is there to get about it? I didn't enjoy the movie. Doesn't mean I didn't understand what was going on in the movie. Yeah, I understood. Well, I, didn't, I didn't really have anyone tell me that I didn't get it. If I did, I don't remember that. But yeah, I, I, it was just, I just had a lot of people disagreeing with me on it. But I think they understood that I knew what the movie was, where the movie was coming from, what it was trying to do, what the, the kind of movie that it was. You know, it's not like the high art of Friedberger Seltzer we're talking about here. <laughs> uh, that's just because you made us sit through that fucking Starving Games trailer. I know. <laughs> sadistic fuck you. <laughs> Rob Zombie to me, and Brad and I have discussed this in private conversations before, but we'll say it publicly here for the first time. I almost think Devil's Rejects was a fluke at how goddamn good it was. Don't you agree, Brad? To an extent, but I hope it's not because I do think he has talent as a filmmaker. I think he does have passion. He does have a voice. He does have ambition. He's got all those things that can go into making a great film. And I certainly would like him to do another one that I like as much as devil's rejects. And I'm talking as a guy who didn't hate the Halloween movies. I think they were great or really even all that good, but, but I don't have the loathing that a lot of other people do, but they are certainly nothing in the league of devil's rejects. I hope he doesn't retire like he's saying like like oh these movies got poor reviews now i'm just gonna quit i hope that doesn't happen because who cares what they think if you want to make a movie look taking what i feel about lords of salem out of it if you want to make a movie and you think you can make a good one and you want to you know you want to put your vision out there do it make your make your stuff make your stuff and you know cross your fingers that it goes over well Go ahead and do it, you know? Don't think about who's going to like it, who's not, blah, blah, blah. Or at least to the point to where it, it's driving you to want to retire. Um, I think if he wants to do a project, he should still he should still do it. He certainly does have talent. And, you know, I kind of am bummed that he threw his temper tantrum and said he's done. Because, yeah, Lords of Salem was pretty bad, but... There's got bound to be more Devil's Rejects in him. It wasn't a fluke. He is capable of producing at that quality. 
I don't know if I'm going to play a Rob Zombie song at the end of this since I said I'm not a fan of his music anymore, so I don't know what song I'll use. Where can, we, where can we find Brad Jones? TheCinemaSnob.com Where can we find the marquee? Or sorry, just Suede. He's just, that's all his name is. Single, single word, Suede. At GeekJuiceMedia.com And you can contact the show at 1201beyond at gmail.com. My website, 1201beyond.com which you can also get Radio Drum t-shirts now. Also, Lost in the Static t-shirts. You can get t-shirts for any 1201 Beyond production. There's some original designs up there. There's some more stuff coming. So check out the store at 1201beyond.com. And I'm also at geekjuicemedia.com. So have a good night, guys. I don't know what song this is going to be.
Radio Drome is a 1201 Beyond production. Visit 1201beyond.com for more great shows.